get going. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been just a, a blessed morning. It really has. I'm thankful um, for all those that have come and just um, participated in our services this morning. Um, it has been just a blessing to come and worship the Lord together and, and just uh, sit around his word and be encouraged and uh, thankful for all those that have come and just been a support with uh, dealing with different things that we've had to deal with today, which is why it's been eventful. But uh, God is so good, and I'm just so blessed, and uh, we're just thankful. So um, we'll maybe share a few things at the end, uh, but right now, let's get into God's word. Ephesians 3, verse 14, and uh, I've been saying to the other services, uh, in hindsight, maybe a different title for our series would have been better. Um, but that's what we went with, and uh, we're trusting that this isn't going to be meaning anything more significantly than just dealing with the letters of Paul, but we're working our way through Ephesians. Uh, Lord willing, if we're still around, we'll be going through Philippians and Colossians and then into Philemon, so it's been a great time in God's Word, and, and we get now to verse 14, and we get to this prayer of Paul, this prayer of Paul that he intended to start in verse 1 of chapter 3. Because Paul had been going through this wonderful, awesome work of the Lord in a couple things. Well, not only in saving us, but then saving us and then drawing all people together by faith in him, making up a new man, a new humanity that's made up of the church where Jews and Gentiles come together now as one by faith in him. And Paul has been so excited about this. He's been just relishing, marveling in the wonderful work of God's grace in bringing people together on, on an, a, a unified, equal ground now together. Something that was kind of unheard of. So what Paul was doing, as he moves into chapter 3, as he begins in verse 1 to kind of enter into this prayer, he just starts to get excited again about this unity and this mystery that was once concealed in the Old Testament, this work of God by grace, bringing all people together in him that was now revealed in the New Testament. Paul just begins to celebrate the Lord for this mystery and this work that we're now one in him. People aren't having to come in and, and now become, you know, a Jewish person. There's not a, a different tiered level of the church or in eternity. We're all one by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's been so excited. And now in verse 14, he finally gets to the prayer because he starts the same way. Verse 1, he says, for this reason, the reason I've just gone over with you that we've seen in chapter 2 primarily but now in verse 14, he says again, for this reason. See, he was just 13 verses of just kind of, uh, again, this parenthetical sort of statement of just, again, glorifying God for his goodness. Well, now we get into it. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So again, Paul is excited. He's thankful. And, and, and he's been just sharing this great work of God bringing together a new family where we saw at the end of chapter two, we're now new citizens in the kingdom of God. We're, 
part of a new family. We're part of a new temple that God is fitting together as one where he indwells in us. So Paul's saying now he bows his knees in prayer and in thanks. He's going to be praying specifically for things, but at first he's just like, Lord, I'm just so glad and thank you for all that you've done. Now as he bows his knees, it kind of, you know, brings up an important point uh, that we can oftentimes debate over, like, you know, what's the right sort of form or posture of prayer? And sometimes we can kind of really try to you know, make things a little bit too formularized in what we do or, or even very religious. It's like, do we need to bow our knees when we pray? If you're not bowing your knees, that prayer is not very effective. Or, you know, what's the, do we have to fold our hands? Is it right over left or left over right? How do we do it? What do we say? And we can get very bogged down with the right way to pray, but don't. Because Paul's not illustrating for us the right way to pray. I think he's showing us how we come before the Lord. And it's not about a physical posture. It's about the position of the heart. It's about are you coming in humility and in recognition that you are nothing and God is everything. And that's why we come to him, you see. This is what Paul is doing. I think the way that he's bowing is simply representative of his own heart and attitude. That he's coming in submission to the Lord. He's coming in humility before the Lord. And he's recognizing that God is the one that he needs to look to, to be the source of all that he needs. He says that he is the Father. I I bow my knees to the Father because he's the source of all of our help and hope and strength and comfort. And the great thing is, Paul recognizes the access that we have to the Father. Just think about this. Our Heavenly Father, who is... The God of creation, the King of kings, there's nothing greater above him. And yet Paul realizes, I have access to that. I have access to the Father. And he he mentioned it in verse 12 of chapter 3, where he said, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have boldness. We have confidence. I love that. There's not a lot of stuff that I do that I have confidence in. In fact, I've just learned to become very confident in my unconfidence, basically, is what it comes down to. I don't even know that's the right word to use, but I don't know how to say the opposite of confidence. So I'm just confident that you'll know what I'm saying here. But there's not a lot of stuff that I I, I do that I have a lot of confidence in. But here's one thing that we can go, we've got confidence to come before the Lord. And we just have an incredible privilege of having an audience and access to God. Whereas Hebrews 4.16 says that we can come boldly to find grace to help in time of need. That's what we do as we come to the Lord. Paul recognized that. And so Paul knows too that this isn't anything to do with him or his merit. Rule number one in coming to God, don't come on your own merit. Don't come because you think you deserve. You come because of who you are now in Christ. And that's what Paul says. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows that he has access to God because of his relationship with Jesus, because Jesus now has saved him, forgiven him. He's clothed him in his righteousness. We don't come on our merit or our goodness or saying, God, well, you know what? I've been really faithful this week. I've been reading the word like never before. So so I'm going to pray, and now I'm really expecting these things to come to fruition. We don't come on that merit. We come simply through Jesus Christ and who we are in him. And in his righteousness alone, not our own. And, and notice Paul says it's through our Father by whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now that's interesting. That has with that a couple ideas that I want to 
point out for us here. First of all, it implies that God is the Father of all who come by faith through Jesus Christ. That now we get put into, as we've been seeing, we get put into a new family with God as our Father. We together, as we gather, we're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters together because we have a common Father now. It's God. He's our Father. He's the Father of all that come by faith in and through Jesus Christ. But secondly, Paul is using a bit of a play on words here. When he begin to break down the, the Greek words that are being used here, Paul uses the word for Father, the Greek word pate, pater, and, and the word for whole is the Greek word pasa, which can mean every, as in every family in heaven and earth. And then the word for family is the Greek word patria, which we can translate as fatherhood. Now, so we don't obviously get the gist of this in our English kind of language vocabulary, but Paul is putting these words together that is going to create kind of an attention now in his audience. His play on words to go, oh, what's he implying? What he's kind of implying here is that God is the prototype for every family, and every family unit derives its origin and example from God. See, God is our heavenly father and is an example now to all earthly fathers of how we're to be. God has demonstrated himself as a gracious, loving, benevolent father. Slow to anger. Full of mercy and grace, long-suffering. God is setting the example for us. See, God as a father is not something that we connected with God because it's what we were familiar with in our earthly relationships. We don't, we don't operate as a family and look at our, our father and go, well, you know what, father, that's interesting. That, that's kind of how I would picture God. No, God has sort of revealed that to us right from creation that he is our father. And every family unit now that he builds is to operate with that kind of father figure leading. He has designed it. He has created it. He has made the family of which the father was to be the head as the fabric for successful society. And it's interesting, wouldn't you say, and how we've seen the enemy look to tear down what God has designed in family. How the enemy in our own generation has had such a full-on attack to the father figure, to where so many families and children are growing up without a father figure in the home. And I think you'd have to agree that the, the results are quite tragic oftentimes from that. But not only are we seeing kids now growing up without seeing a father figure and, and homes being broken apart, but now we're seeing young boys being told, you don't have to strive to be a father. You can strive to be a mother. Ridiculous. What is going on? Just this week I saw a video, and I don't know if it was a church. It looked like a church, and I use that term very loosely because in this service that was going on with people congregated together like this, they had a family came with their young boy, about six years old, I would say, who was coming to give that profession that, he wanted to be known as a girl, that he was announcing that he's a girl. And this is being celebrated and condoned within what seemed like a church, loosely. But this is what we're dealing with now in society. It's not enough just to say we need men to stand up and to be fathers, but now it's men, you can 
You can be whatever you want. Gender doesn't matter. You choose. And, and how this goes so far against what God has designed. And God has designed this to, to bring about strength and, and leadership in the home to bring in a, an attitude of love and serving. That's, that's our Heavenly Father. That's what he's shown us. And it's sad. And that's something that, well, was far more of a, a, a rant that we need to get into. But let's move on here. But so Paul's just declaring there's, there's a couple ways that we can look at that here. This father of the whole family or every family in heaven and earth derives its, its origin from God. And, and, and what's interesting is as Paul is praying too, I think what this does for us as we look at, at the whole family under heaven and earth is that we recognize when we come to the Lord and as we begin to pray, it reminds us of an important lesson that we don't limit our prayers to our own kind of self-interest or self-focus. That there's a larger work going on of the Lord. That we are tied to a family of God that consists all around the world. And as we pray, we're not just focused on my little world. We're saying, Lord, I've got brothers and sisters that are all around the world that I want to pray for and lift up. And I want to pray that you use them and, and you bless them, Lord. And it encourages us to know as we begin to pray for people the work that God is doing all around the world. It's exciting. I'll tell you, I've sure had a, a new heart for the persecuted church around the world. I mean, we've got nothing, we're dealing with nothing like what they're going through. But it starts to make us aware. Wow, as things are creeping into our own nation, how much people have been battling that through the years and how we need to be lifting up the persecuted church, the underground church that is, is risking everything when they gather, how we need to pray for them and lift them up to the Lord. Well, Paul, in verse 16, now finally gets into the prayer. We're still just kind of, you know, introing this here as Paul is kind of setting himself up for prayer in, in looking to the Lord. But now he gets into the meat and the bones of the prayer, essentially, in verse 16. Let's read the next few verses. It says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So finally, here it is. That was attempted to start in verse 1 of chapter 3. We get to it now in verse 16 of chapter 3, that this is the prayer that Paul wants to pray for the saints, a prayer that we want to take for ourselves and go, yes, Lord, do this work in me. And again, like we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, when, when Paul said that we had the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, what does Paul say here? He says in verse 16 that this um, is according, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now think about that for a second because I think Paul is being very exact in what he's saying here that this is something that Paul's praying not out of the riches of God's grace or glory, but he's praying according to. There's a big difference when we do something out of as opposed to according to. If you take Elon Musk, I'm going to use Elon Musk and not Jeff Bezos, but Elon Musk goes in a restaurant, has a meal, and he tips the server. And if he tips out of his riches, well, I could be, you know, five bucks, ten bucks. He's tipping out of his riches. But if he were to tip according to his riches, 
that server is going on vacation. You know what I'm saying? Like, that server's like, I'm done. I'm not, I don't need to work here anymore. There's a big difference there. That's what, what, what God is doing in our lives. And, and what Paul is praying now for us, that this would be done according to the riches of his glory. So the first thing, we're going to look at five things that Paul is essentially praying for in particular. And this list of, of five things um, has been said that these qualities being prayed for is like building a staircase where each successive step is just kind of building off the other one. And the more that you go, the higher you ascend and you get higher and higher just into the glorious riches of God's glory here. That's what we're going to see happening as this unfolds. It just keeps kind of building and growing in just the richness of God here. So first thing that Paul prays for is what? It's right there, verse 16. To be strengthened, um, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. How important that is for us. See, if we're going to be effective in living these lives for Christ and living as a new man with others, then we need to be strengthened, my friends. And this strength does not come from us. Let us say, thank you, Lord. Amen. God's not looking to you to say, hey, get it together, folks. Just step it up. No, he's saying, I want to strengthen you in the inner man. That word might, strengthen with might, through spirit, is the Greek word dunamis. Power. Where we get the word dynamite from, this is a power that is going to be explosive, and, and we're not talking about getting out there and, and blowing up things. We don't want to do that. But we're talking about just this might, this power that's going to be effective in your life. Now, it's interesting that we can oftentimes put a lot of effort into improving, working on the, the outer self, right? We like things to look good, right? We, we want to beautify things. We want to improve things. We want to, you know, bulk up or bulk down, whatever you need to do, whatever's fitting for you today. But we focus a lot of times on the outward self, but we often fail to put that same effort into the inner man. Now, it's like if you were to, you know, you take your car, for instance. I spend a lot more energy into making sure my car looks nice, Right? And, and when I say I put a lot more energy into the outside of my car, that means like, you know, once a year, I'll, I'll run it through a car wash, that kind of thing. Which means then that what's going on under the hood, ooh, not so good. I don't know my way under the hood. I'm not too good. I'm like, I, I can fake it, say, well, let's check the pistons, you know. Let's see how the spark plugs are doing. Uh, check the car. I think there's still carburetors and engines. I don't know, but... There used to be, and, and so I don't know my way around, but you see, we can put a lot of focus into the outwardness of things, and yet if the stuff under the hood is not running right and being maintained, that car's not going to be very good for you no matter how nice it looks. And so what Paul is praying is like, stop worrying about the, the outer man. It doesn't mean, you know, don't exercise or eat healthy. We're not talking about that, but, but let's focus on what's going on inwardly. And it's the work of the Spirit that comes in that does the work inwardly in you here where suddenly we begin to see a change taking place in, in attitudes, in thoughts, in behaviors because all those things Jesus said stems out and flows out of the heart. So are you being renewed in your spirit? Are you being strengthened with might through a spirit in the inner man? And, and you will know 
if you're seeing things of the flesh coming out, emerging, jumping out, that's just like, mm, where'd that come from? Well, it came from that inner man that's not being strengthened with his might. Stop trying to conform or, or reform and be renewed in your spirit. That that heart begins to flow rightly. And, 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 and that's where Paul leads us in the next part of his prayer. The second thing Paul prays for is there in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that's a great picture, and it's one that we should all desire. Now we know that Christ fills us when we put our faith in him, right? He, he comes and he dwells in our lives as we accept him and receive him as our Lord and Savior, but the question is, is he at home in your heart? Is he at home in your heart? Remember the church of Laodicea? Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to his church and he's got some, you know, things that he has to address with them because they become very lukewarm. And, and there's that famous verse in Revelation 3.20 that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, we love to use that verse in evangelistic means where we say, man, if you don't know the Lord, he's there at your heart ready to uh, just have it opened up and come in, receive him. But the Lord is speaking this to a church that's already received Jesus. And Jesus wasn't at home in their heart. He wasn't dwelling in this way in their heart. It'd be like, I picture it like this. The church at Laodicea and Jesus is like, you go to somebody's house, right? And, and they've invited you over just to have a good night of fellowship. And you're sitting down. You're enjoying a coffee. And all of a sudden, this host couple just starts to get in a fight. And they just start, you know, arguing. They start bringing up stuff from their past. And you're sitting here, like, just wide open, you know, like, this is so awkward. And you're, like, thinking, is there, like, a window in the bathroom? Because I just want to escape. I just want to leave. I'm not even going to say, I'm just going to make a run for it, you know. It, it's awkward. You're sitting there, like, going, this isn't comfortable. I think of that with Jesus sometimes. Like, are we making him at home in our lives and in our hearts? Or is there conflict going on? Are we wrestling around with things? Are we doing things that he's sitting there going, man, this isn't, what I had in mind here. Jesus says in John 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. This is what Jesus desires. What do you say? Keep my word. Man, live in line with just what I've said in my word. Follow in obedience and and when you do, you're going to experience a peace because we're going to be at home in your heart and in your life. And when Christ is dwelling in our heart, guess what else is going to be dwelling there? Love. That's where Paul leads us next in his prayer. Number three here, Paul says at the end of verse 17 that you might be rooted and grounded in love. So Paul prays that you may have roots that are going deep down and bringing stability into our lives. That's what roots do, right? You look at a tree, and you look at some of these trees, that, that, you know, they go 50 feet, 100 feet up in the air, and they're just these massive things that you look at the trunks, and you just go, how does that just stay supporting itself? It's, it's, it's truly a miracle. I mean, I look at this, I go, that's amazing that these trees, winds can blow, and these trees just stay strong. How? I mean, their roots go deep in the ground, and an extensive root system just holds them, and you still think, with just roots going up, still, how does that work? And yet, that's how God operates. That's what God does. And Paul is praying, I pray that you are rooted and grounded in love, that there's an extensive 
working going on in the love of God that is causing you to be stable, secure, and strengthened in him now. No matter what you encounter, you can stand strong when you know the love of God. See, when we're rooted and grounded in love, we're going to be anchored down. We're going to be anchored down to the very qualities that, that help us to resemble Christ all the more. You know how infectious that is when we begin to demonstrate and live in this love that God has for us? Well, Paul describes a bit of that here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7, when he says, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not pray to itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things and endures all things. Don't you love to hang out with people that are resembling that right there? Anybody with me on that? Okay, great, a few of you. Rest of you like the opposite, and that's to each his own. We'll pray for you. But, no, I know you guys enjoy it. It's an, it's an infectious thing. When we as a church are, are carrying this out, when we're rooted and grounded in love, and then we go and demonstrate that, guess what the world goes? They go, I like that. I want to be around that. I want to receive that for myself. How does that happen? To say, that's all through Jesus. That's the love of God at work in my life. And, and Paul doesn't want you just to know about this, just kind of know that you're rooted and grounded in it. Paul prays something more so about this love in this fourth part of the prayer because he says there in verse 18, that you may, notice that, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Paul says, oh, I, I pray that you may comprehend. And so that word comprehend is that idea of apprehending, to lay a hold of it. It's saying, I don't just know about this now from kind of an external view or just an intellectual level. This is something now that I've begun to experience and have as a part of my life. I'm living in it and living it out. That's what Paul is desiring and praying for here now. And this is not to be an isolated thing. Paul says that you might comprehend this love with all the saints. That's why I think it's so wonderful when we gather together something that we don't get just online. Is as we gather together, we begin to walk in love with one another. We get to come alongside, support, and encourage one another. We get to see the love of God being demonstrated in other people's lives. And it inspires and encourages us like what, what Hebrew says to stir up. Love and good works. You might comprehend the love with all the saints. And Paul lists a few measurements here being used to look at this love. Now these measurements most likely describe not just the thoroughness of comprehension, but the immensity of the thing to be comprehended. He says in Romans 8, 39, in a similar way, Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul was confident. He was persuaded, he writes there in Romans 8.38. Confident that nothing would stop God from loving him. That nothing would stop that love of God from flowing into his life. Are you confident in that love today? Are you confident in that love of God in you? Because this love, as Paul writes there, is so far-reaching, right? 
It's so far-reaching, he says, that you might know the width, length, depth, and height. In other words, that nobody is out of reach of that love. That it is so deep, it is so wide, it is so vast that you'll never exhaust it. You'll never come to the end of it. You'll keep growing in it. And nobody's ever too far gone from it. Oh, I pray that you might know the love of Christ. That you wouldn't just know about it. You wouldn't just read about it. But this will be something that you begin to internalize and experience. That's what he says there. That you might, um, that you might know, verse 19, know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It just goes beyond anything that you could just know intellectually. And when it begins to penetrate internally, and you begin to experience it and live it out, you go, wow, God so good what a blessing just to experience and know that love and then Paul prays it as we've seen this prayer just continue to grow and kind of in, intensify in a sense he says last you know number five he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God the end of verse 19 you may be filled with all the fullness of God Paul wants you to see every fiber of our being every pore of our body to be so saturated with God's fullness See, when we're filled with this fullness, guess what happens? Everything else that's of us kind of gets squeezed out. It's a good thing. I need that. And I pray, Lord, fill me today to overflowing so there's nothing left of me, of sin, of flesh, uh, of, of the old man. Lord, I want that gone. I want the fullness of God to come in and just invade every area of my life that I'm living under that influence. That's what we need to desire and pray for one another. Paul is praying that for us. He knew that we would need it. I mean, to continue to pray, Lord, fill me with the fullness of God. Don't limit the Lord. Paul recognizes next that there really is no limitations with God, is there? Look at what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice what Paul says here. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Don't limit God. Do we ever limit God? Do we ever wonder, God, can you really do that? I mean, I was tested on that just coming to church today. Lord, what's going to happen? But I know we're in the Lord's hands, and he's got this. And he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, more than I could ever ask or think. And he's going to continue to carry out his purposes and plans. Amen. He's going to continue to carry out his plans. Now think about this here. Where's Paul when he's writing this? He's in jail. He's not sitting here going, guys, pray for me. Where's the love of God? Where's that grounding in him? Where's the fun? He's not, Paul understands this is already the reality for him, irregardless, or that's not a right word, regardless of where he is, regardless of he's in jail or not. He's not limited at all. He's still experiencing all the wonder and the glory of God, and he knows that God is still at work, that God is able to do and carry out his purposes, that his plans will prevail, and nothing is going to stop that at all. No work of the enemy, no matter what team Satan might try to gather together, that will not prevail against what God is going to do. And Paul is proclaiming that here, even from a prison that he's in. And I know that Paul is experiencing just the great love 
and fullness of God, even right where he is. And I love how Paul just builds these words here together. It's like a pyramid that's happening here. He says that God is able. Oh, he's able to do. And he's able to do what we ask. He's able to do what we think. He's able to do what we ask or think. Wait, he's able to do all that we ask or think. No, he's able to do above all that we ask or think. Hold on. No, he's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh, let's not stop there. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is at work, my friends, and God will not be limited. God will prevail. We've just become a Southern Baptist church, my friends. Today, there's been a transformation. This is great. I'll take it. Amen. This is good. So, listen, my friends. Understand, too. Let's, let's finish here what, what Paul is saying that in verse 20. That God's able to do this how? Because of your faithfulness? Because of your strength and your might? No. He says at the end of verse 20, it's according to the power that works in us. And Paul's already laid that out for us. That it's the power of his spirit. And you might be filled with might. Dunamis. Dynamite power. May we go from here filled with the power of his spirit. The power of the Lord at work in our lives. To where everything we do is honoring and glorifying him. God is not looking to you to say, hey, get your act together. Would you, clean, would you, would you just carry out this work? He's not trusting you to pull through and make things happen he's saying let me fill you and let this happen through the power that's at work in you which goes beyond you that's why he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask you think because it's not about you it goes beyond you it's the work of the lord in and through you and as we keep moving forward in this power guess what happens god is glorified in the church that's what he says to him be glory in the church See, when the church is fulfilling its purpose in having Jesus the head, we say, Lord, we worship you above everything else, and we follow you. Lord, you're the head of the church, not, not the governments of this land. You're the head of the church. And we want to live in a way where you are glorified. And when we do that, and we treat everyone as equal parts of the body, walking in power and love, then God is going to be glorified, greatly glorified. God is going to be seen. That's what we desire to see. My friends, we, we live in crazy times, but let us not lose focus that our, our goal and our desire is to see people come in and be added to the kingdom of God, to see God high and lifted up, exalted and glorified in everything that we do in this church in our lives individually, in all that we do corporately, that God be glorified. And the name of Jesus go out to the salvation of many. We're living in crazy times, end times, I believe. Days are short. Let us stay focused. Let us keep operating in the power that God has given us. Don't limit God. Let us see what God will do in these days that we live as we commit ourselves to him. Now, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back here next Sunday. Continuing on in chapter 4. Now what's happening, this is not only a fitting doxology for the end of this chapter, but it's a fitting doxology for the end of the division that we looked at. Because Ephesians is divided up into two main sections. 
You have chapters 1 and 3, which is doctrine, revealing ultimately where we sit in Christ. But then chapters 3, sorry, chapters 4 to 6 is dealing with the practical. We move from the doctrinal to look at the practical. We move from where we sit in Christ to now how we walk with Christ. And so we begin to look at all these things that we've seen and go, how does this get lived out now practically in our lives? How do we demonstrate this all the more? So next week, we'll pick it up in chapter four as we get into some fun, interesting, good stuff, as always, because God's word is alive, and it is good, and it feeds, and strengthens, and teaches us, and so we continue on in it. And so, worship team, come up. We're going to close with a song here. We'll, we'll do that new song again, because, uh, man, that, you know, it wasn't planned, but lyrically, boy, that just fits kind of, I think, with a lot of stuff that we're experiencing and, and dealing with right now. But, um, let me pray, and let me just say, um, if there's anybody here in this room, if there's anybody that's watching online, and again, welcome everybody that's online. We hope you stuck through, and you're still with us. Um, but if there's anybody watching, and maybe watching at a later time, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I want to tell you the good news. I'm going to tell you the bad news first. The bad news is, is that we're all sinners. We've all broken God's law. And, and it means that we've become separated from God because of sin. We're born into it. Nothing we can do to stop that. We have to understand that we're sinners separated from God. We were without hope. We were dead in our sin. But God did something about that. He sent his son Jesus to come and die on a cross to, to be this sacrifice for us. And in so doing, paid the penalty or the fine for our sin. <laughs> it's a fitting word today. Paid the penalty for our sin. And by us putting our faith and trust in the work Jesus did to save us, we're saved. And we get brought in now as a new creation into the family of God. God's done all the work by his grace. This is a free gift to you. But you have to understand your need, that you're a sinner, and you have to put your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, would you come in, forgive me my sin, and, and, and be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. And if you do that, you become a child of God, saved, sins forgiven, and eternal life is yours now. It's a free gift. And I pray if you don't know that, that you'd receive that today. Don't put it up because you don't know when you'll have another day to do that. Now's the day of salvation. Would you turn to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to fill us with all the fullness of God. Lord, would you just come and overtake us and invade every space, and may we live these lives for you, Lord. Use us to be a witness of you, to glorify you, and we just want to live, God, so much more closely with you in these days that we live. May you be at home in our hearts. May we have just the strength, Lord, that might of your spirit in the inner man, rooted and grounded in love, that we might comprehend and totally apprehend that love and, and just enjoy God fully dwelling in us. Do that work in my friends here, my brothers and sisters, online, at home, around the world, in this church. Would you do that work, Lord? We commit ourselves to you here. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. And let's uh, end our service with a song of rejoicing here.